Hi, I'm Anthony Alfredo, and this is my top five. What's poppin' race fans? It's me, Aaron Beard 93 and I'd like to welcome you back to the Motorsports Beat Podcast. Now today on the pod is an interview I recorded late last season with now incoming NASCAR Cup Series rookie Anthony Alfredo, aka Fast Pasta, aka The Sauce, aka potentially Rookie of the Year at the end of this year. Uh, Anthony is somebody who I'd wanted to talk to because he had had a pretty entertaining NASCAR Xfinity Series season last year, running part-time then for Richard Childress Racing. And so I reached out to him to kind of get his perspective and his top races as somebody new rising up the ladder trying to make his way to Cup. What I didn't know at the time is that he would be in Cup by the time I got this podcast out. So you're going to hear in the intro of me talking about him as an Xfinity Series driver. But he has since moved on to the NASCAR Cup Series where he will make his Daytona 500 debut in a month, racing for Front Row Motorsports in the number 38 Ford as the first race of a full-time deal. But anyways, that's enough introduction. Let's get to the podcast. Here is Anthony Alfredo with his top five. What's up, y'all? It's me, Aaron Bearden, 93, and I'd like to welcome you back to the Motorsports Beat. Now, today's topic to show is another episode of the Top 5, where we take the stars behind the cars and spotlight the five races that have been most important to their lives. Today's guest is one of NASCAR's rising stars looking to make his name in the Xfinity Series. Some call him Fast Pasta. Others refer to him as the Sauce. But at Richard Childress Racing, and in the statistics sheets, his name is Anthony Alfredo. Anthony, how are you doing today, man? I'm doing well, thanks. It's a pleasure to be on the podcast today. Yeah, man, I appreciate you. You're going to be one of my first ones, so I'm really excited to kind of get this launch and have you on it. Uh, obviously, you know the, the premise of this podcast, but before we get started, I, I'd be remiss not to at least touch on, I mean, you had your first year in the Xfinity Series this year, pretty wild time, I think 19 starts, quite a few top fives, good runs in there, the obvious learning curve along the way, but just what would you make of your first run in the Xfinity Series? I think it was an excellent year and arguably one of the best of my career, actually, when you consider all things like no practice and no qualifying and uh, more learning curves than were originally expected, of course, because of the uncertainty heading into each race with no prior laps on the track in an Xfinity Series car and uh, trying to get used to everything that was thrown at me this year, so to speak. But it went really well and I've had great people around me and great equipment all the tools I believe I need to do uh, succeed and finish in the top three, top five. We actually had five sixth place finishes. So it'd be unbelievable if all those were just one spot better, but there's a lot of positives to take away from this season. And the biggest thing coming in was to learn and get better every single week. And I think we did that as a team. And uh, the only thing we didn't do is win a race, which wasn't really on my to-do list in the beginning of the year. Uh, Obviously it was, it was, uh, it was on my want to do list, but not must to do. I, I accomplished everything I knew I needed to, but winning a race was going to just be an icing on the cake if we could get it done. And um, we were in position a lot and uh, we had some crazy things happen that took the opportunity away from us, but we still had a successful year nonetheless. That's awesome to hear. It's awesome to hear. So running part-time in this series, there were so many talented drivers there this year. We've got four of them at the time of this recording, getting ready to race for a championship. How, how hard is it to come into that environment with that stacked field every week when you're kind of there hit or miss throughout the year? 
It's definitely challenging. That's the biggest thing is not being in the car every single week. It could become even more difficult because you lose that momentum you build uh, mentally and physically inside the car. And it even affects the race team because obviously the number 21 Chevrolet Camaro ran every single race this year, but just not with the same driver. So it can be difficult on the race team to make adjustments for a certain driver's driving style and they have different communication and all that. And then when I get back in the car, we all kind of have to get back on the same page. So it's a learning curve for everyone. And uh, in addition to that, you have competitors in the field who are seasoned veterans. They've been in the in the NASCAR Xfinity Series for quite some time. And, um, you know, and on top of that, are just in the car every single week, even if they're a rookie. So that was probably one of the biggest challenges was just not being able to be in the car that much. But even uh, considering that, we are extremely uh, extremely consistent, I would say. And uh, I think that's something to be proud of with, uh, as you mentioned, all the things and not having practice and um, just going into a race weekend with a lot of uncertainty when you head down into turn one when the green flag flies. Yeah. And then we're about to get into the main portion of the podcast here. But I, I wanted to touch on one of the most curious things I saw from your season this year. Your Your last two weeks here before we kind of went on the break here, Kansas, you had one of the hardest hits I've seen somebody take in a long time. You get out, and then you only go and follow it up with the best finish of your career so far. So what, what was that, that seven, eight-day period like for you? That's a lot to go through in that short time span. Yeah, it absolutely was. And I know there is this quote floating around for me after my interview when I got out of the, got released from the Infant Care Center. And that was, I wish I could have flipped back over and kept digging because I did get airborne and flip over and was stuck on my roof until the safety crew could flip me back over and get me out of the car safely. And um, that was the truth. I just wanted to keep racing. We That was probably the closest we've been to winning all year. Uh, before the, the week after that at Texas. And I was really proud of the effort we had. We had a super fast car and I felt like we were in contention to, to win that race. So I was just disappointed we got taken out. I wasn't really focused on how how uh, spectacular that crash really was. And just during the week, my mentality never changed. I focused on recovering and healing up and making sure I felt good physically, but mentally I was ready to go race again and try to get another win and, and just go do my job. So we did just that. And as you mentioned, scored my best career finish and best career finish or, or best finish of the season for uh, this 21 Richard Childress racing team as well. Uh, first top three for everyone. So that was pretty cool and, and definitely special. <laughs> That's a racer if I've ever heard one. I'd be looking for an ice bath after they hit. You just want to get back going. Um, I mean, that touches on kind of a little intro for us. Now I think it's time to get to the uh, topic du jour, as I say in my own introduction. Um, it's all about you. The floor is yours for the first of your five races. What races have meant the most to you? Which will you uh, present to us first? Well, I'll just pick up right where we left off, and it's going to be the, the Kansas race in the NASCAR Xfinity Series this year. I was the hardest hit of my career, hopefully the hardest ever, and hopefully the only time I'll ever go upside down inside of a car or a race car because it was not uh, something I ever want to do again, like I said. But one of the interesting takeaways I have from that experience is knowing how safe – not only the race cars themselves are, but all the safety equipment, what the safer barriers do to absorb the impact and the safety crews doing their job to get me out of the car as quickly and properly as possible. Um, so that was, you know, you, like I said, you never want to have to experience something like that, but to test all your safety equipment and all the safety measures that have been implemented in NASCAR over the years and know that everything did its job and everything worked accordingly was refreshing. And I think that's why I was unscathed not only physically, but mentally and ready to head to the, the, our next race the following week. So that one sticks out to me. I actually have the door off that car right behind me, the closest one to me. And uh, it, it's, it's going to be one to hang up on the wall with a picture of the car upside down in the air because it was 
it was a memorable moment and uh, I didn't let it phase me as you as we talked about earlier went to Texas the following week and scored my best career finish so um, it was a wild week uh, as a whole but definitely a crazy race that I'll never forget so when you go through something like that, I mean, I've, I've had a little slide off the highway when the roads were wet once upon a time coming home from a concert, but that is, that is nothing compared to something of that magnitude. When, you, when you're in the moment of that, does it, does it even register what you're going through or is it something where it kind of connects after it's done and you kind of have time to breathe, I guess? Yeah, it's exactly what it is. You have all that adrenaline pumping and in that specific situation, there weren't many laps to go in the race. And uh, I was the first car on new tires during that restart. And I knew whoever got through that traffic in front of us who were on the older tires was going to win the race most likely. So um, I was just so focused on the task at hand. And of course, things went south and literally flipped upside down in a matter of seconds so it it was the unexpected but as it's happening the adrenaline's pumping it happens very quickly um i think the worst part about it was probably just laying upside down for 15 minutes till they could get me out of the car and all the blood rushing to my head but um that wasn't you know to anything terrible either i just knew that was part of what they needed to do to get me out of the car the right way since i wasn't injured and the car wasn't on fire or anything like that but um as you mentioned, when things happen that quickly and you have the adrenaline pumping, it kind of hits you afterwards when you watch the replay and, and really soak in what just happened. How uh, active and conversive was the safety team during that? Were you kind of like really kept in the loop through that whole process? Did you kind of have a firm understanding of what was going on? Yeah, they first just checked on me and when they knew I was okay, they just told me they were going to work on flipping the car over and I could see what they were doing. And and when they said they were getting ready to tip me over, they let me know and um, did it very gingerly. So that was uh, that was nice as well, because after hitting and at that point, the adrenaline starting to wear off, it was nice to uh, not have any more abrupt movements. I guess the last thing I'll ask about this one before we so we can get on to some maybe happier memories, but uh, what the next day or two after that, what's, what's that experience like? Is there any soreness or there people maybe reaching out and like checking on you? What is the experience as a racer like in the aftermath of an accident like that? Well, I'm glad you brought that up because number one, there was unbelievable support from not only my fans, but other people in the industry and friends of, and family of mine. So that meant a lot. And as far as the, the, physical experience you have after that it's definitely you're definitely sore the next day but the second day is what really bothered me the first day I was thinking to myself wow I'm not as sore as I expected to be and the second day I woke up and it was it was rough um but I had uh, some amazing people around me who helped keep me in tip-top shape uh physically and mentally and uh I got freshened up with some special uh physical therapy things and and massage therapy stuff like that to loosen me back up and kind of release some of the tension and and pain soreness stuff like that so that i was good to go by the time we went racing the next week very cool very cool i might have to reach out for some massage therapy recommendations my neck's been bothering me lately um i guess with that all talked through let's see if we can't get on to maybe some better memories i guess it's up to you what is your second race to bring to the table today anthony well, I'd, I'll bring up the first race that I ever went to as a race fan, and that was the 2012 Daytona 500. I believe Matt Kenseth was the one who won it in the end, and at the time, my favorite driver, Dale Earnhardt Jr., I think came home second. I know it was somewhere in the top three, and um, I'll never forget that experience because I always tell people – 
if if you're not a race fan or never seen a race and you watch it on TV, it doesn't necessarily put it in perspective until you actually go to the racetrack. And that's exactly how it was for me. I, I had already watched it for years with my parents and, and my siblings on the weekends, but to actually go and experience it firsthand and the, the sight, the what you see as far as the speed that cars have, the smell, uh, the sound, all the sensations are spectacular and just absolutely surreal. So it's really cool to uh, to be there with someone now for their first time or bring a friend to their first race because I, uh, I see what I experienced in them. And that's why that race stands out to me because I grew up a race fan. I wasn't even obviously racing at that time and, and never would have expected I'd be at this point uh, in my career as a race car driver. Man, so I live in Indiana. I'm about 20-ish minutes north of the Brickyard. And so my first memories were at Indianapolis Motor Speedway. And it took 15 years or so later before I got to go to tracks like Chicagoland and Kentucky and Michigan, where I understood how special the Brickyard is. As somebody who goes to the Daytona 500 for your first major like NASCAR Cup Series race, is that kind of a similar thing like did you understand how grand or spectacular Daytona and that race in particular were when you were there yeah it was so that was actually my first two races because we went back the year after um since my grandpa lives about two hours away so for my first two races definitely to go to other tracks you realize how they're none are less amazing than another it's just they're also different to me so uh it was definitely cool and I think that ties into you know it's not, I don't have it on my list of five favorites for today, but I will say all those experiences tie into when I actually got to go compete at those tracks like Daytona and look up in the grandstands and realize I was sitting up there watching a race and now I'm driving a car on that track. And that same goes for Charlotte Motor Speedway and uh, a lot of these other tracks. So it's, it's pretty amazing. What was it like? You said you were rooting for junior. What was it like as a fan to see your driver challenging for the win coming to the checkered flag? I think, if I recall, that's the year he ended up getting by Greg Biffle for second coming to the line, I think. I know it was those three. Yes. What was that yes, like? Yes, it was. So it was it was really cool to be pulling for your driver and um, definitely uh, definitely fun, you know, and that's how it is today. You know, at this point, obviously I'm pulling for my teammates and uh, the team I drive for, whether they're racing, in, you know, on, on the other day or the same day or in a different series or not. It's always exciting to, to pull for teammates and, and your favorite driver. I guess the last thing I'll touch on this and for this one, then we'll move on to number three. You went to that race as a fan, right? Now you're a driver. You're in the series actively. Do you ever have moments where you can still kind of step back and watch it and kind of feel that, that passion as a fan again, or is it different when you're a part of the field and behind the wheel? It's not different for me. I think that's why I have a different perspective and maybe even different appreciation for the sport than some because I didn't grow up in it. Uh, I just grew up a fan watching it. So when I watch, I'm still a fan. And when I'm driving, um, when I put the helmet on, you know, I'm, I'm focused and, and ready to do uh do do my job of, of getting as great a finish as possible for my race team. But uh, when it comes to watching the races, I'll always be a fan. And even on race day, when I'm going to be the one racing, uh, walking through the track is an cr- incredible experience. There's a lot of places I still haven't been and a lot of these tracks I went to for the first time this year. And it was really cool to walk through as a fan and go out there and race at places that I've only seen on TV. Very cool. Very cool. Now we've had a crash. We've had one as a fan. What are you going to present to us with pick number three, Anthony? 
Well, pick number three is definitely going to be my first. Actually, it's one night, but my first and second win driving for Dale Earnhardt Jr.'s team, Junior Motorsports. And to drive for one of my childhood heroes is something that's hard to put in the words, right? It's a incredible experience and opportunity to to prove yourself to someone that means a lot to you and people you've looked up to. And in my, I think it was our third race of the season, we went to Hickory Motor Speedway for twin uh, cars tour races and they were both 75 laps and I actually won both of them, which was insane because they were my first uh, late model stock car wins. And I had won limited late model races before that, but they were my first late model stock wins, which the only difference is really just a little bit of horsepower and, and an engine difference. But the, the, the car is the same with the body and the chassis. Uh, but in the cars tour, it's super, super competitive. And uh, to be, I think I was 16 at the time, it was pretty crazy to not only win in that series at that level of competition, but to sweep two races in one night, driving for someone like Dale Earnhardt Jr. and, and being teammates with someone like Josh Bear who just announced he's going to be racing the Xfinity series for JRM next year also. So um, that was definitely a night I'll never forget. And, and probably one of the turning points in my career, as far as um, proving to myself and, and my sponsors and my family, everyone who believes in me um, that, you know, hopefully there's a future for me in this sport. So how does one go from 2012 being the, the fan watching Dale in the stands to driving for him and winning a race for him at a prestigious venue like Hickory. How does that, what was that journey and that transition like? Well, it's only five years apart, which is the wild thing. And um, really just a year earlier, I had gotten into a limited late model and I was driving for Lee Falk Racing, who, uh, where I got my first win and they helped teach me a lot about um, racing in general, developing race craft, how to, how to communicate when the race car is not handling the way it should and knowing how a car should handle um, when you're fast. So to take that to junior motorsports and, and as you mentioned, you know, I'm, I'm just starting my career at this point in time. So um, everything's super new to me. I'm still very much a race fan. I am today as well, but it was even more different back then. Um, so it was, it was just hard. I think I, it wasn't until maybe the year was over that I realized how cool what I got to do really was um, and how special it was. So what's the, uh, the aftermath of that? Like, how did you, was there anything done for celebration? Did you hear anything from the boss man, the team? What was the, what's the glow up like after you win something like that? Well, so Dale Jr.'s sister Kelly and her husband LW and their family were there, and it was awesome to have them there because they couldn't always make it every race with the Xfinity Series um, competing on a weekly basis. And to have them there was cool. Dale was gone racing, I believe, and he it was a year he was retiring, actually. So it, it was his last year in the seat. So as a fan, to see him stepping away and be driving for him at the same time was pretty unique in itself. Um, and he was sending out some tweets. And then when he saw the second one, he was in disbelief and tweeting out some really cool things as well. And uh, I still have screenshots on my phone from, from those times today. Uh, so that was, that was, uh, like I said, it's a night I'll never forget. And, and the journey from being a fan at the Daytona 500 to then was, um, I, I don't even know what happened. It was just kind of, I raced go-karts when I was younger. And at that point in time, I was just playing stick and ball sports um, and, and working for my dad, working construction and, and, you know, just the average kid in school trying to uh, figure out what they wanted to do in life. And when I decided I wanted to try to go racing again, because I enjoyed the go-karts when I was younger, I never expected it would bring me to that point in my life, let alone where I'm at now. 
as somebody who's come up through those ranks, what does it mean to for guys like you to see people like yourself and Josh Berry and others can succeed down there, get these kind of opportunities like you guys have in the Xfinity series? It's rewarding, really, because I know how hard a lot of these guys work and, and how hard I've worked uh, to get to this point. And you just tr- hope that it works out. And uh, got, you always got to n- have faith and know that God has a plan for you. So you just put your best foot forward every day and uh, see where you wind up at the end of the day. Very cool. Very cool. Well, with that said and done, let's shift it on up to number four. We're moving right through the gears, Anthony. What one you got for me next? Well, this is a tough one, but I, I think I'm going to have to uh, – I'm, I'm kind of skipping a few years of my racing career in, in K&N and in the truck series, but I think I'm going to have to throw out my first Xfinity series start, put that out there on the shelf and and share the story of that one, because that was actually uh, the only one I had practicing qualifying for, which I never would have expected that heading into it. Um, but I definitely uh, made the most of that looking back on it. I'm glad because uh, that first race was, a tall order. It was actually at Auto Club Speedway, which is a very, very challenging track, a uh, very fast track. And in the Xfinity car, for my first time, I actually only got one practice session because a car blew its motor in the second one and oiled the track down and they, they cut it short. So to have one 50-minute session or 45-minute session, whatever it was, and go out and qualify a NASCAR Xfinity Series car there was um, pretty insane because I never went and tested. Many people usually go and test, especially at this level of competition. Um, you usually get rookie tests is the only testing the teams are allowed other than tire tests um, set up by NASCAR. So we didn't use a rookie test. I'd never been in the car until race weekend. And Anderson's Pure Maple Syrup came on to sponsor me for that race because originally that was not scheduled to be my first race of the year. Um, but I'm thankful for them making it possible. And we went out there and finished sixth. So we were side by side for fifth at the line, actually, but just finished a little bit um, short of the top five position. And uh, that was the start of uh, a string of five sixth place finishes this year, as I mentioned earlier. Uh, but I never believed I would have finished sixth in my debut at this level of competition. A kid from a relatively small town in Connecticut. And, um, you know, you're kind of just like just someone who'd never expected to be in that position. And it was a surreal experience to compete at that level. And I also never expected this year to turn out the way it has because I took for granted all the fans that were there to share that moment with me um, and be there for my first race. It was very cool and it went super well. I think really the goal was to finish the race on the lead lap and keep all the fenders on it and not um, and just stay out of trouble. And we did that and then some by finishing uh, almost in the top five. So that was that's definitely one that sticks out to me. <laughs> so when you're going through something like that with so little experience and track time, how long does it take you to kind of feel like, yeah, okay, I've got this. I'm in the flow. I feel like I'm part of the field. Like how long did it really take for everything to sit with you? Well, I think during the race or after the race, I guess it's up to you to interpret whichever you Well, I would say after the race, because one thing I will say during a race, it's almost like as soon as the helmet goes on, I just become one with the car and I'm so focused at uh, the task at hand, which is to go out there and have fun, but also make the most out of the opportunity I have. And that one in particular, when I got out of the car, I realized how cool was what I just did. Not only how successful of a debut it was, but to go drive the, you know, the notorious number 21 Chevy for a team like Richard Childress Racing, one of the most uh, 
famous teams in the sport, well-known, well-respected. And to get out of the car and the first person at the race car when I got out was Richard Childress himself. So that was really what made it sink into reality, not only to realize how amazing of a team owner he is because of how involved he is with this race program. Um, but to have someone like him, the same guy that hired legend like Dale Earnhardt and Kevin Harvick and, uh, you know, even successful drivers like Clint Boyer and many more to be him, be there as soon as I got out of the car and tell me, uh, that I did a really great job and he was proud of me and um, looking forward to the rest of the season was when it all kind of sunk in. <laughs> so how agonizing was that wait for Darlington a few months later when you get out you have a run like that you're like ready for your next start and then hey we're gonna be off for a couple months how, it was definitely it was definitely uh it definitely felt like forever to say the least yeah I can only imagine that's a really good one man great run to kick off your career in the Xfinity series uh, we will roll right on to number five what have you got for us last Anthony what you've been saving well, for the finale, I, I have to go with probably my most emotional race. And I think if you were to ask me my top five earlier in the year, it would have ended with that last one. But um, we've discussed the, the majority of these races that have been from the Xfinity Series this year. But as I mentioned earlier, this has been one of the greatest opportunities in my career and one of my most memorable seasons as a whole. And to end the season off at Texas with my best career finish after flipping at Kansas is a race that I will never forget for, you know, ever, especially because of the fact that not only to overcome what happened the week before, but to go out there for my last race of the year, still two races left in the season, but with uncertainty of what I'll be doing the following year, I knew I just had to go prove myself one last time and hopefully win the race. If not, you know, just have a successful day and, and top my career best. That's exactly what we did. We actually I felt like we were going to have a shot at the win. I was running the leader down in second, and then we just kind of lost the balance on our race car and struggled a little bit. But to still come out third in that final race and have the emotion of a career-best finish, flipping the week before, overcoming that, uh, having a shot at the win even, and being disappointed in a sense at the same time as being upset that it was the last race of the year, there was a lot of emotions flowing, and I feel like they all definitely spilled out during my post-race interview, um, but it was it was definitely necessary to, to share the emotions I had with everyone watching at home because we didn't have fans there to, to share that experience with me, but my mom and dad were actually in the suite with my girlfriend Emily, and that was only the only race I got to go do besides that and be at the track was auto club. My first race because it's how this year has went. So there was a lot of reasons why that race is so memorable and important to me. What's it like the moment you get to see your family after a run like that, when the, the feels of the run finally start setting in. Uh, it's definitely emotional and, and exciting, you know, just to have them there was really cool because my mom and dad were race fans growing up and, and of course helped me uh, get started with my career and supported me and, and still do to this day. They're my biggest supporters in a lot of ways. So to have them there on top of the fact that they visited RCR 25 years ago, four years before I was born because they had flown down from New York to go to the Coca-Cola 600 as fans. And they walked through the very same race shop as fans that I walked through as a driver so I get goosebumps every time I tell that story. And that kind of even just comes into that whole experience of having them there for um, my final race of 2020 for Richard Childress Racing. And then what does it do for Anthony Alfredo, the driver and the person, to be in a situation like that? You're surrounded by playoff contenders fighting for a championship. Not only are you able to run with them pretty cleanly and 
barely, but you come out with a finish ahead of all but I think one of them. What does a run like that do for Anthony Alfredo, the driver, heading into the offseason? That's a great question. It's it, I think it's helped me gain some very valuable exposure and, and positive uh, positive exposure as far as um, my performance as a driver and, and my um, composure in, in the interview and, and the type of person I am. I think I represented myself accurately in that interview. I always am myself uh, just as I am now with you. And that was uh, very important. And the year's not over yet, but I think when it is, people are going to look back on my season and that race in particular, and hopefully some some other doors will open up and some new opportunities will arise. 100%. Well, that gets us through your top five, Anthony. If you're willing to bear with me for just a second, I've got a little more for you, but this is very quick. There's a section at the end of this called the top 10. It's rapid fire. It's easy, and it ends with a chance to plug yourself. So I think this will be good for you. Are you willing to play along? Absolutely. My man. All right, so the checklist goes as for sorts. First off, we have your first race. First race was Hickory Motor Speedway in a limited late model, the number 15 car for uh, Leapfrog Racing, and I finished eighth. All right. Number two, your worst race. Worst race. Oh, first race with Junior Motorsports at Concord Speedway. I, I spun and crashed on lap one. Oof. Number three, let's switch it around and go with your best race. Best race was probably the last race of the Xfinity season at, uh, at Texas Motor Speedway. Number four, your favorite series growing up. Favorite series growing up, probably the, probably the truck series, actually. Really? Yeah, I was a big Ron Hornaday fan as a kid. I feel you. Number five, your favorite driver growing up. Favorite driver is Dale Jr. <laughs> Junior Nation. Number six, if you have one, your least favorite driver growing up. Were there any rivals? <laughs> Not really, actually. I, I don't think I ever had a least favorite. Oh, see, I was a Dale Senior fan, so that was an easy Jeff Gordon for me. Number seven, what all tours do you watch now? I watch a little bit of everything in NASCAR. And I'll keep it NASCAR specific. Um, definitely grassroots racing, like late models, super late models, and the, and the cars tour where I raced in, and all top three of the national level. Number eight, what is your dream job or moment right now? Dream job is to, to be a Cup Series driver, and, and the ultimate goal is to be a Cup Series champion. All right, number nine, a chance to recommend someone else. Who's a person or group in this industry that you would recommend people follow? Mm, this one's tough to answer. Uh, does it have to be <laughs> up and coming, or could it be someone who's around currently? It's whoever you want to recommend. Um, I recommend... Uh, following along Austin Dillon's career because now that I've gotten to know him I know the type of person he is and uh, how hard working he is and what he's done for me in my career as well so uh, he's one to look out for uh, not to mention he's driving that fame number three car definitely made a statement in the playoffs this year and then last thing just to wrap up an opportunity to plug yourself what things do you have going on where can people follow you Anthony everyone can follow me at Anthony Alfredo on Facebook Twitter Instagram um, fast underscore pasta on Twitch and TikTok. And my website's anthonyalfredo.com. If you want to see all the information, check out our partners, my racing schedule, and much more. All right. And that will do it for us, Anthony. Thank you for sharing your top five with us and taking a small chunk out of your day to visit the Motorsports Feed. I really appreciate it, man. Thank you.
have it, folks. Anthony Alfredo's top five. And it was a pretty interesting list, right? It was unique to see him put a race where he suffered a terrible crash in with the usual mix of good runs. It's stories and things like that that made me want to start this podcast to begin with. So I'm glad that he was able to participate and provide a unique context for his own life. Of course, that said, he is still very young in his NASCAR career, and I'm sure he is eager to add some races that will topple this top five over the course of the next decade plus. So it might be one I have to revisit down the line if I'm lucky enough to still be doing a podcast in 10 or 20 years. Thanks, of course, to Anthony for taking the time to talk with me about this toward the end of what was a difficult season for everybody in the racing world with COVID-19. Thanks to his PR rep at the time, Joshua Altis, who's with uh, Richard Childress Racing for helping to arrange this. And thanks to a couple of our Patreon supporters. I'm looking at Spencer Pullins and Nathan K. Thomas today. Without your support, I couldn't keep this all going, so I really appreciate it. And if you want to support us, you can go to patreon.com forward slash motorsportsbeat and donate what you like to get your chance to get shouted out on this pod as well. And thanks, lastly but not leastly, to all of you for listening and allowing Anthony Alfredo to share a few stories and races that have meant the most to his young career. Coming up next on the Motorsports Beat Podcast, we will step away from the cockpit and behind the shutter. Uh, we're going to have Jamie Price, one of the world's best motorsports photographers on, talk about a few of his races, and you're going to hear some events that are bucket list items and will stick out to you immediately. But until then, this has been the Motorsports Beat Podcast. I am your host, Aaron Beard 93 and I'll catch you guys again when we get back on the beat. See you.